Welcome to the Marion Message presented by the Mosaic of Marion podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marion Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Hey, if you have your Bibles today, it's not really far where you got to go. Um, Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to be dealing with really a lot of just one one. I'll go to the other end a little bit more. I'll do a little bit more than that. But to begin with, we're going to be in Genesis 1-1. You know, when you, you've been somewhere for 22 and a half years, and you come to these seasons, you always want to be fresh. You always want to be something um, fresh and new and good. But I mean, there's only so many ways you can preach the, the birth of Jesus. So you, you figure out different ways to go at it. And so I had been pondering and thinking about how to get there and, and whatever. And so I was thinking about our phones. Isn't it crazy how that got me here? And how we're always looking for the latest, greatest phone. And the, you're looking for your Wi-Fi. Like you'll ask people, man, are you, you got 5G? Do you have 5G? So then I began to think about how many years this earth has been and just thinking across the, the gamut of a spectrum of time because I get asked, and now stop right there, go with me here. Here's what I get asked a lot. Man, what, what is this world coming to? Well, here's an answer. It's coming to Jesus, period. The whole entirety of mankind has been coming to Jesus. We were created to glorify him, and it took a while, and then he brought his Savior to redeem us. And then one day, I had this conversation with Grandpa a little bit ago, how we're going to spend eternity together, hanging out, worshiping our Savior, and loving on each other. That was me and your Grandpa's conversation earlier, Jay. And so then I began to think, well, how can I just put this into the context of Christmas and and that thought. And so then I, here's my sermon. I'm going to give you my whole outline for the month of December. Today I'm on creation. Absolutely. Next Sunday I'm on the creation of the, the Jewish nation in Genesis 12. The third Sunday I'm going to be talking about the prophecies of the coming Messiah out of Isaiah and, and a few other places. Christmas Eve, the 24th, I'm on um, just the birth of Jesus. I'm going to spend that, that time on that. And then the last Sunday of the year, i am sort of got two ideas, either the second coming or just us out in the millennial reign, uh, not in, out in eternity, what that will mean for the believer, because that'll be the final dot and period on the sentence of mankind in this area, this dispensation, as it were. So today I want to talk about creation. You may say, man, that's not a very Christmassy sermon. Just hang with me. I'm going to get you to the Christmassy stuff a little bit later in a few weeks. But I want to deal with this thought because it's always a hot spot. How was the world created? Well, here's where this pastor stands. I'm a firm believer in creation by God. I'm a believer in a six-day creation. Now, there are some guys out there that I love and I trust. They, they tend to believe in some other theories the gap theory or this and that. And 
I just see it. When I read in the Genesis chapter 1, I read about it, it says it was the first day. The word day there, all the rest of the places in Scripture means a literal 24-hour day. So I don't understand why sometimes we want to do gymnastics with Scripture to make something fit our narrative. Your narrative should always be to let this book speak. When, when it's allegorical, you'll know it. For example, I, I don't think that John, that John, when he was talking about the beast in Revelation coming out of, the, out of the sea, it was a literal beast. He's speaking about the false prophet. You can take that as, as a picture of what will be. He was giving us a description. But when it says this was the first day, now I'm just a redneck from Chatham. But day means day, 24 hours. And I'm going to stand firm on that. You'll never change me. If you believe otherwise, good for you. I think you're wrong, but good for you. But I'm going to preach a literal six-day creation. Not Today, we're just dealing with the first part. So would you stand at the reading of God's Word? This will be a short-lived standing, unless I say a whole lot about it. In Genesis chapter 1 and, and verse 1, we read these words. In the beginning, God. Look right here. You can get past that. The rest of Scripture is easy. Just being honest, if you, can get, if you can accept that to be true, those four words, in the beginning God, if you can accept those four words as true and factual and foundational, well, the rest of Scripture is easy. If God was the one here before and God is, was the one that created everything, God is in control. He can do whatever because He is outside of time, space, matter, and everything. He is the ultimate cause of everything else. He himself had no cause, but he's the cause of all matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, thank you for the truth of Scripture that you and nothing else was the cause of all creation. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to dive into this and we're going to get going because I want to just deal with some things and, and you're going to see this. Number one, what we're going to see is the person of creation. <clears throat> There's a lot of thought out there about when we're going to talk about evolution and we're going to talk about all this other stuff. Got a great verse of scripture that deals with all of that too, by the way, that I'm going to give you. But the person of creation, we read in Scripture, what does it say? In the beginning, God. Okay, wonderful. What's the Hebrew word there? Now, we read that as a singular word, God. It seems to be in the singular. But if you were to go to the Hebrew, the word there is Elohim. It, it is literally, it is the most common name for God in the Old Testament, this Elohim. It is mentioned some 2,310 times in the Bible, and it's called, and I love these two words to describe the name Elohim when dealing with God. <coughs> it's called the plural of majesty. In other words, we read it as a singular word. The Bible says it's plural. What do you mean, plural? Here's why it's plural. There's God the Father, 
And there's God the Son. And there's God the Holy Spirit. Now, in toto, he is God. But there are three different roles that God makes up. I'm not going to try to get into all that, but I am here to tell you that Elohim stands for all three that were there. It is the plural, or it's also called the intensive plural. And why it uses that word as creator, because let me just jump ahead here. It means strong one. Don't put it up yet, Andrew. It means strong one, mighty leader, the supreme deity. But what they're getting at is this singular plural implies all the fullness of deity that is concentrated in one God. They are three, yet they're one. Preacher, can you explain it any better than that? No, I can't. I have faith that it is three, yet one. But I believe what is getting at in Elohim, it is taking all the, the roles that God the Father has and all the role that Jesus Christ has and all the role that the Holy Spirit has. And it wraps it up in a bow <coughs> to describe God fully. He is indescribable, though, really, if you stop and think about it. Amen? Amen. So this word Elohim, it, it encompasses everything that we could possibly know about God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, and puts them together and says, this is why. It's backed up in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 when it talks about that in Jesus Christ is in him is all the fullness of deity. Isn't it amazing how God could be three yet one? I just said that a minute ago. It means strong one. It means mighty leader. It means the supreme deity. But here's the context. Now, I wasn't the greatest English student in high school. Sorry, Danny. But I wasn't. I know that's hard for you guys to believe with me making up words and just how I say some words. But I do know this grammatically. God, right here, Elohim, is plural. The verb, when we get the, in the beginning, God created, and I'm going to deal with that in just a minute. Created is singular. Now, in a sentence structure, you cannot have a plural noun and a singular verb. It does not work, except in God. Because that is theologically accurate, yet it may not be grammatically. For all you grammar nerds, you're probably now just blinking and, and you're freaking out a little bit. But it's okay, because theologically, that's the only way to describe that. Because although God is three, and I'm going to bang the drum on this, although God is three, yet he is just still one. He is one true God. And I mean, he even tells us this in all this. We see, the, we see the Trinity here. Number one, you have Elohim right there that speaks about plurality. We have God the Father, we're pretty sure there in, in Genesis 1-1. And then we got the Spirit of God that is hovering over the face of the water. There's a third person of the Trinity. And then if you jump over in John chapter 1, verse 1, we read these words. In the, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we find out that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who created everything by His Word. So I want you to, as you understand who created everything, it was not some non-being. It was not some thing out there that just sort of spoke it and then backed off of it. It was one true God, and that's all the Bible can. And by the way, I'm going to throw this out too. You don't need to defend God. 
If the Bible does not defend God, it just states of the fact that he was, why do you think you need to defend him? I mean, people want to get in these arguments. Well, if God's real, then he's going to come down right now and he'll do this. Well, what kind of God would he be if every one of your little whims he answered to? God is fact and true and life. The Bible doesn't defend his being. You don't need to. Just believe it. Y'all all right? Just believe it. It's a foundation of factual truth. God is real. Now, how's the best description that we can get of him in this? Go to Psalm chapter 90. Go to Psalm chapter 90 and look at verse. It is a great, this is the word Elohim here also. In Psalm chapter 90, we read these words in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you ever had formed the earth and the world, here's the description of him, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You want to know what the word God there is? Elohim. It's the greatest word that we have for capturing this everlasting to everlasting, this powerful creator God. And the psalmist here wrote this. It was a prayer of Moses that he was from everlasting. In other words, everlasting past. Before the beginning, he was already there. And in the future, there'll be a moment out in the future when he's not God too. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God and we are not. So that's our foundational truth. That's the first four words of the Bible in the beginning, God. That is the foundation for all of creation and the rest of the Bible, God. Then we go on to this next one, and then we get the power of creation. In the beginning, God created. The word, therefore, created is bara, B-A-R-A. And it means to make something out of nothing. Did you know this truth? Man cannot create. Just some of, the, some of you are going to be like, what? I said this morning, and some people in early morning, they wanted to revolt. Man cannot create. Man can make, but they cannot create. See, man can take, he can take this uh, uh, something and this something and he can put them together and, and reform them by using certain amounts of this and he can create different things, but he has to have something already there. Here, and I love, this is one of my favorite little words of all of Scripture, God created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing. He is, God is the only one that can create. Man can make, only God can create. Because we need something else. There was a, a story told of, the, I don't know whether it's true or not, man, it would be so awesome. It, well, it's not true because it's just not. That God was talking about, talking with this scientist, and, he, and the scientist was telling God how smart he was and how he could do everything God could do. And God said, okay, so I want you to make something, whatever it was he said. And, and the scientist says, okay, and begins to gather stuff. And God says, hold on. You can't use anything to make it, to create it. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. Did you know that in the Bible, God, the word create is only used of God in the Bible, that God is the only one to create? And in this one chapter, it's used three times. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. And then in Genesis 1-21, 
says that God created the great sea creatures and every living creatures. And then in verse chapter 1, verse 27, he says, uh, so God created man in his own image. God is a creator God, and he is a powerful God. He is so powerful. Uh, Listen, in Job chapter 38, verse 4, he says, if you can read that a little bit later, here's what he says. He says, were you there talking to Job? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? I love it when you go to Job chapter 26, and I think it's verse 4, when he says, and he hung the moon and the earth on nothing, and it stayed. God does not need anything else. God can just speak, and things have to be right where it is. You know, the earth is not moved. That's the reason, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. This will probably get me mad with some people on the internet if they catch this, or some of you maybe. I don't worry about climate change. God's in control, yo. And that's right, I just called you yo again, Amanda. God's in control. I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm going to do all I can to be good to the environment because, I, I mean, I like the environment. But I'm not worried about it because God's in control. And the earth, since God spoke it into existence, since God hung it on nothing, it's been at the right angle, the right distance from the sun, not too far, not too close. It's there on its axis the same way for some 7,000 years. And it's going to stay that way for until God finally says it's over. You can go to Romans. You can go read this when you get there. Romans chapter uh, 4 verse 7. I want to go a few other things that, that backs up what I've just said. Go to, go to Isaiah chapter 40. It's a great chapter of the Bible, man. Isaiah chapter 40. And, and notice it. Scripture interprets Scripture. Isaiah 40 verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now, we say the Holy One, and this is going to throw this out for free. In Hebrew, there is no definite article there. It just gives another name of God, which is holy. Lift up your eyes and on high and see who created these. The word created there is bara. It is by divine action. It is a masculine, masculine singular verb or noun, excuse me, verb. Did you catch? Now, you may say, why would you say that? Because he's not mother God. He is Father God. Thank you. It's a masculine, singular verb. He he brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. Just a thought here. That's immense, the number of, of out there, but God knows them all by name. And then we could go from there. Let's go over to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Your Bible should just flop open to that. We've been in Hebrews 11 for about nine weeks, ten weeks. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Here's a New Testament equal of Barah. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You know what that means? Ex nihilo. Made out of things that are, that are visible. And then one last. Go to Revelation chapter 4. I believe we'll be a part of this one day when we're there. In verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you, here's the word again, created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. And by the way, if I could add, I'm not trying to add to God's word, and they still exist today because of him. 
The Bible says he upholds it by his mighty, powerful hand. But in this, we know that today, man, we fight against a bunch of stuff, don't we? Some of you here, you may be a little uncomfortable with the fact that I said I'm a, a literal creationist, that I believe in a young earth. Um, I, I believe in those things. And, and you may be, maybe you're a, a, a science teacher or whatever. You're going, preacher, I'm telling you, it's millions of years old, and, or it, we came by way of evolution. Well, let me just refute a few things here. I'm going to refute some things based on what the Bible says. Based on Genesis 1.1, let me refute some things that are out there. All right, by the statement of Genesis 1-1, we can see that it absolutely refutes atheism because the universe was created by God. See, the atheists will say, there is no God. I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. Here's the truth of the matter. I don't believe there's such a thing as an atheist. You believe in something. You know why I say you believe? Because you were made to worship it is innate in your biology, in your structure of your cell construction and your everything about you. You are made to worship. Now, you may not worship Almighty God. You may not worship Jehovah, I mean, Jehovah God and Yahweh God, but you might worship the dollar. That dollar bill can be your God. It can be an idol. Or you can worship your family. I believe that's what we struggle with the most in society today, by the, day, by the way. Or you may worship academia your brain, but you worship something because in it, it's innate in you. Not only does it refute atheism, it refutes pantheism because God is transcendent of all of his creation. He, he's not in the midst of it. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be in that tree out there. He doesn't need to be in the ocean out there. He, he is outside of all that. Now, he's the one that spoke it. He created see, there's this thing in theology called causality. There can only be one thing that does not have a cause. Bruce has sort of dealt with this on some Wednesday nights. Everything else, like if I, when I get to materialism, I'll tell you that. Everything has to have a cause as to why it's here, except for the first thing that struck, that struck the match. That one thing has to be uncaused. And you can't have two things that are uncaused because then they would fight against each other and it would make them less of a god. So God doesn't need to be in. God's not in this pulpit right here. Y'all all right? This just whatever. He's not in that thing right there. He's not in the trees out there. He's not in the grass. He is transcendent from it, outside of it. And yes, by the way, he still cares how it goes. He didn't just start it and then take a back seat. He is fully involved. Now, and then also because it absolutely refutes polytheism. Because one God created all things. And materialism, here it is, he refused materialism because all matter had a beginning. It refutes dualism because God was alone when he created. Here's the one we're at today. These last two are the, the worst ones of the bunch, although they all sort of have a similar theme, I'm going to tell you. Humanism, it refutes humanism because God and not man is the ultimate reality. We want to lift up man. We want to think man is where it's at. We want to talk about reason, and we want to talk about this, and we want to lift high our knowledge, and we want to think the ultimate goal. That's why so many think they ought to have it their way. Well, I was born a boy, but I really should be a girl. No, you should be the boy God made you to be. The ultimate reality is how God made you, and we're to give him glory and not ourselves. 
And then the last one is evolution. It refutes evolution because God did indeed create all things. See, the evolutionist wants you to believe that there was nothing. And somehow in the middle of nothing, a spark came which created some atmospheric something or another, yada, yada. And from that evolved some kind of something that created the world and all the solar system and all this. Are you with me? And from that, we got this sludge and mess. And out of that sludge, you and I were swimming around like a little tadpole. And then one day, in our minds, we said, you know what? I'm tired of swimming around like a little tadpole. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to grow something that will make me breathe. So now I'm just going to be bumping my butt until my legs grow. Now, we must have lived for thousands upon thousands upon millions of years to do that. And then from there, we become some kind of frog or, or lizard or, or something. And then from that, everything just begins to do this. How absolutely insane is that? Now, you want to believe you came from a bunch of frogs or toads or tadpoles or some stinking sludge? Be ridiculous and think you came from that. Here's what I'm going to think. I, got, I was made by a creator. And I'm going to talk a whole lot more about that in just a minute. How else could this have started other than a creator? But, you know, you look at all these things, and Andrew, I want you to do me a favor, Andrew. I, I, got, I got my main man, Ty Ty, to do it early. I want you to back up. I want you to back up. Just. <laughs> okay. By the statement of Genesis 1-1, we can see that it absolutely refused. Give me one. Atheism. Give me second. Pantheism. Give me Third. Polytheism. Give me the next one. Fourth one, I guess. Materialism. Come on. Dualism. Come on. Humanism. Come on. Evolution. So I think that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. Do you know these seven things have one similarity at their very core? Psalm 14, one. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Hey, I'm just quoting scripture. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. At the center of each one of these is a man-made thing that wants to refute God being God. I've quoted him before, the Harvard uh, Nobel Peace Prize winning um, biologist and astrophysicist and all this, that literally, I could go find his name, I've got it written down, that literally at one point said this, I've studied and there's no possible way evolution can be real. But I refuse to acknowledge God. Listen to how dumb this is. As a result, I therefore choose to believe that which I know cannot be true. Are you serious? And every time I read that quote, I hear Psalm 14, 1. The fool has said, in his heart, there is no God. So God created. But then let me give you the last one. 
I want you to see the precious of creation. This is where I started it at as I was thinking about it in my alliteration. You know you're precious. Scripture teaches that you are. Now, not because of why your mama told you. And by the way, you are a dirty, rotten, filthy, just stinking sinner, by the way, at your very core. That's who you are. You, you have a sin nature. But you're still precious because of what God did. I want you to notice a few things. Notice the change in verbiage. I'm using some big words today. In all this, if look at verse 3, God said, let there be. We skip down to verse 6. Let there be. And verse 9, let there be. 11, let there be. 14, let there be. Let there be. But then we get to verses 26 and 27. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make. In all those first ones, he was just speaking things. And we know that God spoke, that Jesus Christ spoke all that into the world, that he spoke everything. Yet when it gets to you and I, the highest of all creation, he says, let us make. Do you understand that there's a personal relationship? There's an intimacy, and I'm going to show you that through the verbiage of this. There's an intimacy of what God wanted to do with you, that he created you special. Hello? Is this thing working? See, the word image there, let us make man in our own image. The word image means something carved. In other words, now skip over to chapter 2. Listen to this. Verse 5, verse 7, then the Lord God formed. And that word formed there, the man of, of, of dust from the ground, means to squeeze into a mold to be earthen. It has the base of being earthen. So w- listen to what he's saying here. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when they were out there having this conversation among themselves, they just spoke everything else in existence. But when it got to you and I, he said, let's get our hands dirty. We're not just going to speak man. We're going to take our time and we're going to make man. Do you understand, and I'm not going to go real deep into this, who you are is literally determined at the very moment the sperm fertilizes the egg. Hear me. That second, in that very second, when old Swimmy Swimmy gets to the egg, and that's the easiest way I can put that. Mom's dad, you may have to explain it when you get home. Some of y'all go, all right, let me just give y'all a minute to giggle, you adults. You can't even talk about stuff, man, in church sometimes. Y'all just get over that, okay? That's what happens, okay? When a daddy really loves a mommy. Okay, so that happens. In that very instant, do you understand that half the DNA of, DNA of mom and half the DNA of, God, of, of, of dad has come together and it has been created and decided who you are? From that DNA of that strand in that very first second, your height, what you're going to look like, color of your eyes, color of your hair, your size, everything about you has been decided. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty special. 
And when he puts you all together, in, we can go to Psalm 139. It says we are intricately woven together. It's the picture of, of, a, of a woman or a man there at, at a spinning wheel, and they're knitting together a beautiful tapestry that has all different colors because we come in all different sizes. Because here's the truth. Do you understand that you are a one of one? Do you understand that? We, we're, we're twins. We got twins right here. Twins. Now, now we can understand we got a boy, hey, and a girl, but they're twins. It wouldn't matter if they were two girls or they were two boys. We would say, man, they're twins. They look just alike. But you want to know this? They're not. You, people, man, we struggle in this world with self-esteem and, and how we look and how we feel. And here's what I want to tell you. You are who you are. And that should cut against anybody saying, well, I was born a boy, but I should be a girl. No, you should be a boy like God created you because he took time. See, there was three people in that moment when, you know, mama loved daddy and daddy loved mama. There was three people. There was father, mother, and God working To design you just like he wanted you. You may not like how he did it, but he did it. He intricately, and by the way, Psalm 139, I think it's verse 12, says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Dear one, I want you to hear, if you don't hear nothing else, I want you to understand this. Yes, you are a flea-bitten, you are a sorry scoundrel of a sinner. Yes, you are at your core, but you are also precious. Because God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made you because he said this world needs one of you. With your attributes, your mental acuities, your sense of humor, your, your whatever else, God needed you. And so he said, let us make. So he got his hands dirty and he, and he sat back in it and he formed this man and he formed Adam. And there he is. There's Adam. By the way, no belly button. He didn't need one. He was never connected to mama. I bet that was weird. When, when Adam and Eve gave birth to their first kid, and all of a sudden this little holy thing is in their stomach where it was connected to mama. Because Adam and Eve, they, they were just created. They didn't need a belly button. Why y'all looking at me so funny? You never thought about that? They didn't have a belly button. Just smoothie, smoothie. But he's laying down there. Here's Adam down there. That's why you ought to come to church Sunday. You don't ever know what I'm going to say. <laughs> but he's just there. I mean, everything's there. The, the greatest computer in the world, they say, is your eyeball, how it can do everything. But he's just there. So in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, he formed a man of dust from the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils. So we get three things right there here. Number one, we're God formed. I've just discussed that a whole lot. By careful design, we are carved, we're shaped, we're made just by careful design, Psalm 139. But then we're, here's the intimacy of why you're so precious. You're God breathed. However he formed man, he might have had Adam standing up. I have no clue when he formed him. I wasn't there. But here's what I do know. That word, when he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It literally means a puff. But it has a connotation of an intimate kiss. 
way before Sleeping Beauty got that kiss that woke her back up, there was actually a kiss that gave man life. It wasn't from Prince Charming. It was from the one true God. And so because of that intimate kiss, that God breathed, and don't, don't read nothing into that. Don't do that. Well, then God filled. His breath gave us life because there was none before that. So now Adam had become a living creature. And by the way, the reason that we are so special, and by, listen, and I, I know you love your dogs. God bless you. I love my dog. I've got the dumbest dog on the face of the earth. His name is Jake, and he is a complete idiot. That dude will run headlong into stuff. He weighs about 105 pounds. He'll run into stuff. He'll, he'll just nosedive, man, and then wake up like, hey, hey. I'll correct that sucker man, and I'll get on him, and I'll spank him, and he'll just turn right around like, hey, hey. But there's something I got that Jake don't got. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. And even before that, I have a conscience that Jake doesn't have. I have a consciousness about myself, about God, and about others. Jake don't have nothing like that. I'm going to break some of your hearts here. I don't know that your animals are going to heaven. In fact, I don't think they are. There will be animals in heaven, but I don't believe Jake going to be in heaven with me. It's okay. He would run amok. But you, you, you are made in the image of Elohim. You are made with the breath of God to give you life. But now stay with me for about 30, 45 seconds. But yet, we marred that, didn't we? We were made in the image of Almighty God, and we are God-formed, God-breathed, and God-filled, yet we messed it up by sin. And so God the Father... And God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they have a plan for that too. And I'm going to be talking about that. That's where this connects into Christmas. Of how then Jesus stepped out of heaven to purchase our salvation. To redeem us because we were worth it in his sight. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Can I ask you this question today? Have you ever been to Calvary to be washed of your sins? You may say, well, preacher, you don't, you don't know what I've done in my past. I don't think I mentioned anything about any. We all have the same past. We're sinners. All have sinned. But yet, if you're a sinner, you're available candidate for salvation. If you'll just come by way of the cross. Would that be you today? Place your faith in Jesus because he's the one that can wash you white as snow. 
Thanks for listening to the Marian message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.